This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. The serial shenanigans are over. We're back to get into the crunch following the weekend's action. We'll be discussing Harvey Elliott's misfortune at Ellen Road and assess how badly the Reds will miss him whilst he's in the treatment room. Magic Mo Salah joins the 100 club, the 30th inductee in the 30th season of Premier League football. But is he still somehow underappreciated? Plus, we'll preview the return of Champions League football with AC Milan heading to Anfield on Wednesday. To do that, we have the Chief Ian Doyle and Football Content Editor Marcus Banks. Doyley, I missed Friday's pod. If you were wondering, it's Coco Pops for me. But let's get down to the football. And You were at Ellen Road yesterday and a game really of two, I wouldn't say halves, because it was into the second half when Harvey Elliott got injured. But after that, the, the game and I suppose the feel around the place must have really changed. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a strange one, really. I mean, the, the actual incident happened. I mean, uh, at Leeds, we're a little bit set back in the in the car, not in the main. It's not, I don't even think it's the main stand. I think it might be the main it stand. It is the main no, stand, it's not, yeah, it's but it's, the, it's the, the main stand, but it's not the big one, one is it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the smallest one. one. That's correct, yeah. So we were, we were sat there, so we were reasonably near to the front. And the minute that the tackle came in on Harvey Elliott, you knew something was wrong for two reasons. One was the fact that he didn't move, which, you know, we've seen enough football and we've all seen it where if a player actually is injured, they tend not to, to move at all. And then it's the reaction of Mohamed Salah. Uh, who was instantly was putting his arms in the air and like waving at the, he was waving at the bench to come on. He was waving at the officials to stop the game. Then one or two Liverpool players and Leeds players saw what had happened and they were thinking exactly the same thing. So it did change the mood. Certainly, Liverpool's the way Liverpool, you, you kind of felt about Liverpool's performance. And certainly, you saw that the players themselves were affected by and they admitted as much. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold said it after the game that they were affected for quite some time. And you would, be, you would be if you got this young lad who's. You know, he's not come out of nowhere, but certainly this season has been a breakthrough season for him. I think, uh can't remember it was that came up with the stats on Twitter. Certainly wasn't me, but he was the youngest ever Liverpool midfielder to start three successive games, a uh, league game, sorry. So that in itself shows you what, what he's achieved in such a, a short space of time. And he was having a fairly decent game. I mean, we'll never really know for sure, but I'm pretty sure he was about to get substituted yeah, as well anyway. Yeah, they said on the TV they, on commentary. They, they, yeah. yeah. They, said, they said the sub was ready and it was him, the card yeah. him. Because he'd done yeah. okay in the first half, but it was just the way that the game was going. Liverpool were by then, were, were leading by 2-0. It was time to make some changes and, you know, he was the obvious one looking ahead at the fact that he's probably going to be playing some more games in the future. So, you know, he's, he's got, fortunately for him, he's got so much of his career ahead of him, but this is a, the timing of it is a bad, it's bad for him and, you know, we'll get onto it later on, I suspect a little bit bad for Liverpool as well. So it wasn't great. I mean, the thing is, I mean, we've spoken loads of times about Harvey Elliott on this podcast. I mean, I've, I've interviewed him and I've seen him play from when he first played his first game up at, uh, in Scotland playing against Napoli where he came on. Seen him play for the under-21s in the EFL Trophy. Seen him play for the under-23s. Seen him play in the uh, UEFA Youth League as well. And he's always been... He's always been a standout, not just because of the way that he plays, but also the way that he, you know, he handles himself. I've interviewed him as well, and he, he comes across as a really, you know, everyone's seen interviews with him now. He, he comes across as a really nice young lad, and you think, hang on, at the time, I think, at the time I spoke to him the first time, he was 17 years of age, and I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't be like this when I was 17, you know what I mean? It's like, and you, sometimes people forget that, but he's somebody whose entire life has been dedicated to football to get into where he is, and 18 years of age, he's got into Liverpool's first team, a team that only last year were the Premier League champions and the reigning European champions and the world champions. So that shows you the talent that he's got. But now he's he faces a different challenge, doesn't he? When I mean, you saw the pictures when he went off 
on the stretcher, he still, you know, still had the, he still found time to applaud the Leeds fans who were who were giving him a, a warm ovation as he as he went down towards the ambulance and off to hospital. You think again, he's eighteen. How many like experienced players would think to do that? He's just yeah. somebody who. That 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 in itself, you know, and you know, before the game had even finished, he was on Instagram posting a, a message from the back of the ambulance. I mean, that, that's a very twenty first, twenty twenty one reaction to getting injured. That certainly didn't happen when I was. Yeah, but it's also it's also injured. a mature one, isn't it? Like well, you saw your tweet earlier, and what you're yeah, sort of saying there this is, is, this is it is so impressive of actually how he carries himself and conducts himself. Now, obviously, before he arrived at Liverpool, there was a, a fair bit said about his character. We don't need to to go into that and whatnot. But the way in which yeah. he has held himself and people at Blackburn speak about how since he went in there he was always a model pro he was kind of setting the standards even there on loan from from Liverpool and yet he's clapping the fans off when it looks as though his ankle is in an awful absolutely awful state he's tweeting from the back of the the ambulance and then he's gone into a hospital given his shirt and and other boot to a young lad in the bed next to him and he's then since put another message message out on on social media too I mean, yeah, you're right. That shows the maturity of him. But, you know, we've seen that. And he's grown up really, really quickly, as you, as you just you know, said, that he's, he's had to at Liverpool. And he's taken everything on board. And if you factor in all of that, that kind of spirit and determination, that suggests to me that when he does have the operation, whether it's today or tomorrow or possibly when, I think it's going to be in the next 24 hours, that he, the rehabilitation, I don't think Liverpool will be bothered in terms of, his mentality. I mean, he will have lows because that's what happens. Or you know, you only have to yeah. look at what Virgil Van Dijk said. You know, he's a very experienced player, and he, he was talking about what, what what the issue was when you know he, he suffered his injury. And you you do have those low moments, but Liverpool will be there for him. All the players, you could see from the reactions that they, you know, they got you know basically they got great affection for him anyway. But the fact that he's a youngster coming through, and I've written in the past about the fact that he looks as though he belongs amongst them and they don't even think twice about, they don't look at him as being this 18-year-old footballer. They just see him as being a very good footballer who's part of the squad like everybody else. And that's how he's going to be treated. And that's why he will come back, as he said in his message, fitter and stronger than ever because he's got that in his mentality. And we just have to hope that the actual physical injury that he suffered isn't <clears throat> isn't one that is going to be more complicated than it already is, judging from the, you know, from the pictures that we saw and, and, and what clearly was a bad injury. And we just have to hope that you know, what surgery he does have, it helps fix it as soon as possible and he can get back on the playing field because Liverpool are going to miss him. Yeah, most definitely. And what about that, Marcus? How much Liverpool are going to miss him? Because if this had been a 24, 25-year-old midfield player who'd been bought that everyone was clamouring for during the course of the transfer window and then this injury struck, it would have been, whoa, whoa, Liverpool are going to miss him so much. From the early signs of the season, this was a player that Jurgen Klopp was going to put an awful lot of trust in for the campaign. Yeah, and I think, I think it just shows, you know, the impression that, that Elliot's had on Klopp in that Burnley at home first game, you know, Burnley known for being a tough, tough side to deal with physically. And, you know, he starts in there. I think that took everyone as a bit of a surprise. And then you think, okay, you know, Chelsea at home, you think, okay, is, is Klopp going to go safe and, you know, start a, start a more, a more safe midfield? But no, he starts him again and again, intensity, high pressing. Uh, you know what you're going to get. You think, okay, maybe start Thiago and Henderson and midfield that we've not seen yet. But no, Elliot retains his place again. Like Daly said, he was having a fairly decent game. And I think just it just shows, you know, how the esteem that Klopp, Klopp held himself in. But that that's all down to him. You know, he's he's clearly impressed on the training ground and on the pitch. And it is it's a massive loss for Liverpool because he did come into the season as a little bit of an unknown entity as how he's going to, you know, adapt to the highest level. But he genuinely looks like he's been playing at this in this Liverpool team for the last two years, especially that 
the combinations. We start thinking that the calls for a genie Wijnaldum and the replacements have been called because you start thinking this, this lad is good enough to start week in, week out. Yeah, most definitely. Doily, in terms of the incident around the tackle and then Jurgen Klopp being on the pitch and everything, there's been some suggestion that obviously Jurgen Klopp felt something like this may well have been coming after his comments after the Burnley game and then how he was straight on to talk to the referee and, and people kind of debating around the red card. For me, it was, it was obviously a freak accident and challenge, but the laws of the game do state quite clearly that serious foul play is an action that endangers the safety of an opponent doesn't say anything about whether it's a clean challenge or an accident. It it kind of was one of those. Therefore, to me, it seemed a textbook red card. And even for Pascal Strack, better for him to be off the pitch probably after an incident like that. But Jurgen Klopp, quite understandably, uh, rather emotional after the incident and in his post-match reflections as well. Well, it has to be said that Jurgen Klopp made a point of saying that he didn't want any kind of suggestion that what he said previously about referees allowing play to go on and yeah. he said that somebody got injured he said he didn't want that to be anywhere near any headlines about Harvey Elliott's injury he didn't want to associate the two I mean whether or not he, he looks back at that later on I don't know but at the time he was not interested in that he wasn't interested in that. he also wasn't interested in whether or not uh, the, the Leeds player got a red card as well I mean I have to be perfectly honest and say at the time I didn't think it was a foul at the time when it happened I thought he kind of lost the ball but then, obviously, you see Elliot go down. As I said before, he straight away he went, oh, he doesn't look in a good way. And it was only when I got home and actually saw some replays is that when he actually does make the challenge, in which he does win the ball, um, his both feet are off the ground, aren't they? So yeah, it's his left leg riding yeah. down the back of Elliot's yeah. leg and so the leg gets caught in he a, is He is out of control. And I, I, know there is a, you know, I know there is a suggestion that whenever you make a slide tackle, you are slightly out of control because you're probably going to... Uh, you know, it's two feet off the ground at some particular time. But most slide challenges, certainly ones from the side and ones from possibly you know, straight on or a little bit straight on, you, you've got a lot more control than over over that one, which was kind of from behind a little bit coming from, yeah. you know, he's trying to scoop the ball around. And they're not necessarily dangerous challenges, but the way that it was done, you could say, look, that was a little bit out of control. And so, he, and the thing is, you're right. I mean, the, whether we agree with it or not, the real... It's like that someone with Gomez last year, wasn't it? The, the minute that the severity of the injury is taken into account, it's a red card. And I have to admit, at the time, we didn't think he'd been sent off because it was such a commotion at the time. Um, it was only when we saw him walking down the tunnel, it's like, has he been sent off here? And then, because obviously the, the television didn't show any replays, rightly so as well, so we never really got a chance to, to have a look at it at the time. But yeah, I mean, as I said, Jurgen Klopp didn't really want to go down that road about, you know, things, whether that's related to what he said previously about potential for players being injured this season. From my point of view, you look at the game and the way that the game went, there was early incidents where it wasn't endangering Mohamed Salah, but he was getting fouled and the referee was just waving play on. And it was a little bit the same with Sadio Mane. That kind of changed a little bit in the second half. And weirdly, the, the Leeds fans were very, very, well, the mostly irate most of the time anyway, but they were, but they were very irate for much of the game about what they thought was preferential treatment for Liverpool, which even taking my you know, my partial hat off, well, I'm not even sure what the hell that means, uh, but if it, you know, being impartial, I didn't really see that, to be honest. And um, But yeah, I mean, Klopp said it basically said at the end, look, our lad's going to be out for quite some time. The lad's going to be out for two or three games. And unfortunately, that's just the way that it is. That's, you know, there's no way you can legislate for, you know, saying somebody does a foul challenge, then they're out for the length of time. Someone's injured. It doesn't work like that. It's un unfortunate. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. So it wasn't malicious, but 
in other rules, it's a red card. Yeah, it's one of those tackles that happens all the time, I suppose, on training grounds. And even even in games, it wasn't a malicious one, as you say. It was a freak accident. But once the severity becomes clear of what the tackle is, then I suppose he's, he's no other option but to send him off. And probably did the lad a favour as well, because I imagine he's probably feeling very, very remorseful as well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on from Harvey Elliott, though, and let's talk about Mohamed Salah, who had that injury not come around, Marcus, I'm sure would have been the centre attraction and the main story from the game. He's joined the Premier League 100 club, 98 of those goals coming for Liverpool, fifth fastest player to do it. What a man. Yeah, it's hard to put into words just how good, you know, Mo Salah is. And, and as you mentioned before, he still is underappreciated. Looking, looking at those totals, I think, on that list, I think six out of the eight were strikers. And I think I saw a stat on Twitter that Salah's played, I think, 10% of those games. It's taken him to score 100 goals at a right-wing position. And he's, again, it's hard to put into words just how good he is. His consistency is, is frightening. He is just the best Premier League winger in history. There's no other doubt about it. Like he just keeps keeps delivering and keeps, especially last season was, was the one for me that sort of everyone having a dip, but Salah still manages to have a Salah season and he's just he's kept that going. And if Liverpool are going to win the title, then he's obviously going to be central to that again. I know you're going to tell me who cares, Doyley, but is he? <laughs> I think I know. Go on, go on, go on. Is he as is he as widely kind of revered as he should be? Because he's the fifth fastest to a hundred goals. It's taken 162 games, but when you actually add in his assists as well. Of those five players, it's Alan Shearer, Harry Kane, Sergio Aguero, Thierry Henry and Mohamed Salah. He is only behind Thierry Henry in terms of goal involvements. Henry had 153 from the 160 games it took him to score 100 goals. And Salah's got 140 in the 162 games it's taken him. Now, I suppose when you look at it, Thierry Henry is kind of one of those players who is the pin-up boy for what the Premier League most complete forward has been and in terms of goals and assists well Salah's not far behind yet to me doesn't really seem to get spoken about in the same sort of way at all it's always with Salah oh yeah but he goes down too easy oh yeah but he misses too many chances his numbers stack up well yeah I think that's just that that's kind of you would imagine part of the reason for that is the fact that he plays for Liverpool at a time when Liverpool have suddenly not suddenly but you know over the last couple of years become good again and for a lot of supporters say with the greatest respect to the pair of views, neither of you had ever remembered Liverpool winning the league, had you? No. So, you know, whereas I had, you know, so it wasn't new to me, but for an awful a generation of supporters, they were like, hang on, what's going on here? We can't be having this. And I think that is also, I think that's possibly part to do with it. I also think that if he had a career that started at Sporting Lisbon, went to Manchester United, Real Madrid, then Juventus and back to Manchester United, I think an awful lot more people would be respectful of him and, and what he's done. I do think yeah, there's a it not add little to, bit of that. Yeah, but does it not also add to actually how good he has been? Because Liverpool haven't been short on striking options whilst they were failing to, to win the Premier League title or the First Division title. And yet now, this is a guy who has not only helped them to that, he's also helped bring in other titles as well and individual accolades as well. Surely that should actually only add to the legend that is. I've got another hat. I've got my cynical yeah. hat on now, right? And I'll put that one on, yeah. uh, which is the one I normally wear, to be honest. Um, Didn't get another one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got loads of them, got loads of them. <laughs> so, and I also think part of it is to do with the media in the sense that Salah doesn't do many interviews. 
it hardly ever speaks in that sense. And I do wonder whether or not there are some people in the national media, not in the local media, and I don't necessarily even mean that the national media in cover Liverpool all the time, but just the general wider things. That's what you were, you yeah. were kind of discussing. You don't tend to hear what Mohamed Salah thinks. You just see him on the pitch. Whereas that's perhaps not the same as some of the other some of the other players in the past you've just mentioned. Then, um, so I don't. I think he's he's he's, he's kind of just like, he, he, and also he he kind of has that that career path where he did he was in the he was in the Premier League, wasn't he, with Chelsea, and didn't do anything, and it was a bit too early for him. And I think for some people, they just look back at that and go, well, you know, he never did it at Chelsea. So it's like, well, hang on. Look what he's done at Liverpool, as you said. You just mentioned all the numbers. And as you, this is a Liverpool team that does have three, four world-class forwards. And he's the one that keeps on delivering, as Marcus said last season, is the one where everyone else was just nowhere near it. And even Salah would say he was not at his best, but he still scored, was it, 31 goals? You know, so... You know what? What more do you possibly want? He's already, you know, he's got a few this season already. He's quite clearly Liverpool's best player. He's and he's and he's as we've said about Wijnaldum in the past. The best thing about Salah possibly is that he's available. He's there all the time. He looks after himself. If you're a brilliant player, it's absolutely no use if you're injured half the time. You may as well not be there. So, I think if you put all of that into consideration, a little bit like Henri was. Like Henri was always available, wasn't he? You'll know, but better than I did, guy. I mean, he very rarely got badly injured, did he? As far as yeah, I'm aware. No, no until Barcelona so. started sniffing around, yeah. Yeah, um, well, that, that's that's something totally different. But the thing about Salah is that, is he under is he underappreciated by Liverpool fans? No. Is he underappreciated by Liverpool? No. Is he underappreciated by the kind of people who pay any kind of attention to Liverpool? No. But if you look at the wider sphere, the kind of like the floating fans, they possibly just see him as somebody who's just, oh, look, he just scores some goals for Liverpool. What else does he do? Which is completely yeah. utterly wrong because... You saw what he did to a to, to Furbo yesterday. He's probably thinking, I might have to go and retire at this point. Yeah, I think he's still probably being untangled from the amount of times he was spun around. I suppose when you said, what what more do you want? Maybe a Renault advert and a Vavavoom tagline. Well, they, they, just exactly. But then he yeah. does that. But then he does that in Egypt, doesn't he? He he, he does yeah. have that kind of profile in Egypt, where he is, you know, he is this massive figure, not just football, but just a national figure, and he also carries that around with him. So, you know, it, for him to, for him to still and we'll get onto his contract, I'm sure, at some point. But for him to be at Liverpool, I think people have to realise Liverpool now have in him probably the best player in the world on form over over a specific period of time. Because because there are others who you might say are more talented, but they're either on the way down, getting too old, in a bit of a rough patch, or still need to improve. And Salah's in his absolute prime, and he's been showing that for a few years now. Yeah, on that longevity, Marks, is he kind of the, I suppose in factual myth that people want to be able to prove a bit like with Trent and the whole defending debate we have to deal with every time a, a, a winger goes past him but with Salah that oh he's a one season wonder that I mean we're what now into his fifth season and yet it still feels that there's that narrative around him yet he's now reached 100 Premier League goals and as you said before last season he just continued to do it and yet because he does that people just go all oh, right okay yeah just leave him to it we only want to know when his form dips again so we can stick the knife in. Yeah, it's it's almost like 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 Doyle mentioned. It's like he's sort of put down from those great players because he's so all he does is score goals. But that is his job on the team. And in that first season, he was that unknown entity as a whole. You know, he was a bit of, didn't really get a chance at Chelsea yet. Showed flashes and comes and just in that his job's made tougher. And the fact that you know teams have now you know he's usually got two men marking him. He's got a fullback sticking with him and the the, the right the left side the centre half also going to close him down straight away. And he still manages to just just to score for fun. 
And Carpenter's interview with Sky, yes, they mentioned about, you know, the longevity of players and and this whole aging front line and sort of thing. And and he, and he rightly mentioned, like, players like Salah, Mane, they're all entering the peak now. These are the prime years. And then you look at Ronaldo, who's 36 and still performing at the highest level. And there's no reason why Salah can't do that too and, and be at Liverpool for, for many, many more years. Yeah, most definitely. Doily, I'm going to kind of go a bit off off topic away from Salah and just wider kind of things. You mentioned the contract before and uh, transfers and this, that and the other. And obviously with Harvey Elliott's injury, whether that's going to kind of, I suppose, lead to more clamour for Liverpool to buy a midfield player. But Sam Williams, who's long-time listener, we can we can call him friend of the show. Asked last week, unfortunately, I wasn't here to be able to put it to you. But he, he sort of says, he's got a two-part question that says, have Liverpool been the victim of their own success within transfers? And in terms of the fact that, Everyone's kind of always saying next summer, next summer. But if this team's successful, I suppose they can keep them together and don't need to change them up. And he says his second part of his question is, could FSG be spending on infrastructure, contracts and long-term assets rather than just throwing money away in the transfer window by adding value to the club with maybe in the not-too-distant future looking to sell up? I know it's quite a big question, but the first one there regarding victims of their own success in the transfer window. And the second, we're talking about salary on contracts, if that's kind of maybe going to be part of a wider remit. Um, well, the first thing, I think we've got to remember that since the start of last season, Liverpool have signed Jota, Thiago and Canate. I think people sometimes forget that because they they, had, they weren't there at the start of last season uh, when they kicked off against, who did they play? Leeds. 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 There you go, Leeds, yeah. I'm pretty sure they weren't. Oh, did they get signed before it? I can't remember now. It was, just, it, was, it, it was just before the Chelsea game, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Just before the Chelsea game, so I was right. But uh, uh, victims of their own success, don't know really. I, I, well, well, I'll put it this way: they're certainly victims of the coronavirus pandemic. Because I'm pretty sure that if that hadn't happened, they would have actually spent some money this this uh, this summer. Um, whether that had been through raising more money from the sales of the players, or just because they had more money to spend, I think there would have been a bit of that. I think there's we've got to bear that in mind. So, I. Well, you, you, it's just, but you can't really be victims of your own success because... Well, they kind of can be in terms of the wage bill because it's incentivised well, wages that means that they... they yeah, but yes, yeah. Okay, but yeah, but then the money that they didn't then spend on the transfer fees for these players, they've more than paid it paid it back for all the winnings that they've got for the club through actually lifting trophies and getting to plans of the Champions League and winning the Premier League and all that. So I think that kind of evens itself out. And there's a reason that they would be giving these players these rewards... You know, because they're working for, you know, they're a company where if you do good work, you actually get rewarded for it, which is what they want to do, which I don't see there's anything wrong in that. Um, but in terms of Salah, in terms of opposite, the question about whether or not they're giving all these contracts so they're looking to yeah. sell up. Yeah, I mean, we don't know that, do we? We can't possibly say that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were getting the 500, was it 530 million pound? Well, Fenway Sports Group were not Liverpool, but they were yeah. getting the Redbird you know, investment. So that suggests that somewhere along the line, they're actually looking to expand. Whether that ends up being a takeover further down the line, I don't know. But, you know, people don't get younger, do they? And I would imagine that, you know, John Henry is he's, he's very much nearer to stopping his interest than, than beginning it. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I haven't really seen anything that would suggest that FSG is selling up anytime soon. They want to build the Anfield Road end, they're pressing ahead with that. And yeah, like that adds more value to the to the club. But in terms of the actual contracts, I don't necessarily think it's in terms of a business plan for them to then sell the club. I just think it's to make sure that they've got these players under contract, that, that, that the manager wants to stay there for another at least another three years, the length of time that he's still going to be there. 
and uh, they can then crack on in the knowledge that no one's going to nick any of their players unless they get given an absolute fortune, in which case they can then go and spend it on other players, which is what they've done in the past. Yeah. Great stuff. If you do want to send any of your questions to us via Twitter, you can do so, and we will look to get them into pods. Of course, we do do our Q&A episodes every so often as well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Marcus, back on Mohamed Salah, and I suppose what's now left to tick off for him. Is there a possibility that he is going to be a man who lifts or receives a Ballon d'Or whilst he's at Liverpool? Do you think is that kind of the next step for him? He's going to get 100 league goals for Liverpool, you would imagine. He's only two goals away from that. And and then what other personal accolades are there for him to, to hoover up? Yeah, it's a, particularly the Ballon d'Or. It's a strange one. It's obviously so one as a, with your team or your country. I think there's a Jorginho finished third in the the world player of the year, or did he win the world player of the year award? I can't, I can't even remember just because you know Chelsea won the Champions League, Italy won the Euros, but I don't think he was probably the best player in either team. But it just goes down to to what trophies you win as a team. So I think it's it's it all depends on Liverpool's success. But he, again, he is central to that. But I really don't think he he, he mind. Obviously, he wants the personal accolades because he's so competitive. But as we saw, yeah, as we saw over the years, it's all about helping Liverpool, and and he is so key to doing that. And of all the business Liverpool have done this summer, I think that would be the most important. Is, is like Doyley said, keeping keeping your best player at the club, keeping your best players at the club. I've came from, you know, as I was growing up, it was always, you know, my boyhood heroes, Fernando Torres, among others, who were always sort of, you always got that feeling, as the better they play, the more likelihood it is that they're going to, you know, be poached by someone else. But no, that's not the case. And, I think that's a new experience for a lot of Liverpool fans. We, we've not really experienced the same side, the same sort of spine in the team over over what four or five, six years without the best player to part and then the rebuild sort of happening. So, I think the new contracts are, is is a massive plus, and getting Salas over the line would be the biggest of the lot. It is, isn't it, Dolly? I suppose the last thing to to tick off is get that new contract sorted. It, it feels as though, on Marx's point there, actually, that yes, last season around sort of Christmas time, there was sort of the, those mumblings of discontent around the Spanish giants. But given it's quite clear those two now don't really have much money between them, it doesn't really feel as though there's anywhere for him to go. And the natural conclusion is going to be that this will get done. Well, you'd like to think so. Um, a lot might come down to his age, his representatives, what they actually want, not just about what the player wants these days, unfortunately. Um, how much he tweets? <laughs> well, he doesn't tweet very often, does he? So he doesn't tweet to us. Um, going back to the Ballon d'Or thing, I'm quite... Ballon d'Or now has changed from when, say, Michael Owen won it, because it was just voted for by journalists. I say just, but it was voted for by journalists then. So, and these weren't just like me. I mean, I didn't get a vote, but it was like actually leading journalists. Um, from across Europe who have been doing the job for many years and have a very great consideration about who these players are. Uh, whereas now the Ballon d'Or, just as Marcus was kind of pointed, it's a popularity contest. And it was a merge I, of two awards though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, the it was FIFA the, World Player the, the of the FIFA Year and the Ballon d'Or yeah. was the European Footballer of the Year. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, at the time, it, uh, when I was growing up, it was initially just for European players. Yeah. Then it got changed to any player playing in Europe which means you could have the likes of Ronaldo, the proper Ronaldo winning it. Uh, and then, as you say, it, it's kind of become two, you know, two awards have become joined to, to do this one. But I do think it's just a popularity contest. In fact, I'll go and say, I'll be amazed if a Liverpool player ever wins it, 
ever wins it unless they end up signing the Brazil captain who ends up scoring loads of goals in a World Cup final. That's the only way they'll ever a Liverpool player will ever win it because it's it's you know, almost every year it's either Messi or Ronaldo. Even like you know you know quite well. Oh yeah, right. Okay, we know Messi and Ronaldo quite clearly. Um, in terms of pure talent, probably amongst the best players certainly that period for the last ten years. But there'll be seasons where other players did more. Like I felt sorry for Lewandowski last year, where they just went, "Oh, yeah. hang on, Messi and Ronaldo can't win this, so we're not going to do it." That yeah, but obviously that, they're going to. That, that seems like what it was. Come, their time's going to come to an end. But yeah. was it 2008 when Kaká won it, that Fernando Torres was runner-up. He didn't I mean, win though, did he? Well, he didn't win, but Kaká had also had an absolutely incredible year that season and was a player in unbelievable form. I don't quite think that it would have to be. I get what you're saying there, Brazil, the most successful. Well, let's, okay, I'll read for Okay, Mohamed Salah will not win the Ballon d'Or as a Liverpool footballer. There you go. I don't know what, what would he have to do. He would probably have to score 10 goals in the Champions League final, Liverpool winning the league by about 50 points. And then, I mean, and then they'd still, yeah, yeah. And they, and no, and then they'd still go like, well, Euros, oh, wait, well Ronaldo, Ronaldo did score a hat trick against Norwich. You know, they'll say something yeah. like that, basically, because it's just become a popularity contest. Because quite rightly, most of these people can't watch all the football. They get, they're too busy actually playing it and getting involved in what they're doing, so they just see highlights. So it's just a highlights put, you know, show basically judging on who's the best on that. That's why, as Marcus said, you know, Jorginho, who's isn't even the best midfielder at Chelsea, let alone the best midfielder in the world, and they're talking about being the best player in the world. Absolutely no chance. Just because you win some stuff doesn't mean you're necessarily the best. It's a team game, which is what obviously, which is obviously completely at odds with the actual Ballon d'Or and an individual award for a player in a team game, which that's a completely other different debate. Yeah, it definitely is. Let's get on to the Champions League then. It does return on Wednesday night, Anfield, AC Milan. And uh, Doily, I'll, I'll come back to, to you regarding this. First time these two sides are going to meet that isn't in a European Cup final, Champions League final. Yes, 2005 and 2007. I was at both of those. One was slightly uh, better than the other one, I have to say. Um, both of them nowhere near my house, which was a bit <laughs> annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know you're laughing, but I've seen AC Milan play in a Champions League final at Old Trafford, which is only about 25 yeah. miles away. So uh, so there is that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like... Uh, We've always gone about the Champions League and how there's certain teams that always seem to play each other, like, you know, Man City play Coventry in the Champions League, whoever they play, you know, the tough draws that they always get. Real Madrid always seem to play, Liverpool always seem to play Porto, and oh, look, they've got them again. You know what I mean? Games games like that. Whereas for two teams that have won, what is it, 13 Champions Leagues between them? 13 European Cups, AC Man 7, Liverpool 6, so have never played each other in anything other than two finals. It's very, very, very odd. Um, I mean... I'm sure we'll get onto the game itself in a minute, uh, but AC Milan for a lot of for quite a few years we're just trading on the name. They weren't particularly great. I think that has changed. I think they are getting a lot better. They must well they finished runners up in in Syria. Well, obviously the Italian league isn't as strong as the English league, still a decent standard, and I'd expect it to be a probably be a tougher game both games than many people are expecting. And I'll tell you what, Liverpool don't want to be going to. San Siro on the last match day and needed to get a result to get through because that will be difficult. So, yeah, there will obviously be all this, the, the, the connection to what happened in 2005 and 2007. Um, I'm not sure it's got much relevance to the game, actually, on Wednesday, to be honest. None of the players will be playing. But, uh, but it's, a, it's a little bit of a story behind it. 
Yeah, I thought you were going to go full Kevin Keegan then when you said, I'll tell you what. And I, thought, <laughs> I would love it if we beat them. Do it if you want. <laughs> do it if no, you want. No, no, he's fine. Marcus, how formative were those two games, though, for yourself growing up as a Liverpool supporter? 2005 and 2007, those two Champions League finals, and I suppose the way in which it kind of, I imagine for you, would have hooked you in. Yeah, I vividly remember uh, being 3-0 down in 2005, and I think it was, you know, there was light rain, and my dad went out to the back garden and just sat <laughs> on the bench in the rain, and just, just sort of head in hand, you know, game over, and then he strolled back in, and we'd scored one. I think the next day, we were allowed to wear Liverpool shirts to go to school, and then the juxtaposition of that the heartbreak of 2007 when I was a little bit older, understood a little bit more. And then, which is why, again, Madrid for me was so special because that was a, re- a real sort of 2005, still a bit young, and then 2007, and then Kiev, the heartbreak, and then Madrid was just was so special. Um, so, yeah, but Milan and Anfield, Champions League nights, it, it does have that real big Champions League night feel, like, like the Barcelona game. Those sort of just big, big matches that the crowd are right up for, and I think the atmosphere is going to be electric. It was, it was, it was flat. The ground is bouncing at Chelsea, so those European nights are always, always something different. And and that's on that Liverpool are, are going to be glad to have back, particularly in the Champions League. Yeah, what about the game itself then, Doyle? As Mark said there, the actually having the fans back last year obviously didn't have them for the European campaign, and a fair bit of obviously the knockout phase was played. Um, out in Hungary, wasn't it? The the Leipzig games. But in terms of kind of the campaign for Liverpool and the group they've been dealt, Porto, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, it feels as though straight away this year in the Champions League for Liverpool, they're going to have to be at it. There's not going to be maybe a whipping boy of the group phase that you know, oh yeah, that was that would be good for six points or at least four points against one of those sides. Well, that's true. I mean, you'd probably look at Porto and say they're the weakest team in the group. Yeah. But then you turn around and say, well, hang on, they got to the quarterfinals last year. So what does that tell you about the strength of the group that, that Liverpool facing? The good thing for Liverpool is that you'd imagine all the other teams are going to take pay- points off each other. You might take paint as well if they want, but they can take points off each other. And uh, and that could you know benefit Liverpool, but it's going to be a tough one. I mean, Liverpool haven't in the past, they've had one or two naughty groups, haven't they? And by which I mean groups where there were quite clearly three teams that could get into the two places. You look at the the one where they won it in 2019, Paris Saint-Germain, Napoli and Liverpool. And, and, and Red Star were going with the other team and Liverpool lost to them in Red Star. So that, again, that underlines... The, 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 in Red the, Star, I think it was in Belgrade. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. Well, well the ground was called. Oh, I don't know what the ground was called. I wasn't there, to be honest. I wasn't there. Um, but that does count. Well, to be honest... All the, it's the Champions League. The game should be hard. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be in a position where, like, other teams from Manchester will be able probably later in the groups to play reserve teams because they'll have already got three because, you know, the, the groups are particularly difficult. Um, I think Liverpool, you could argue that maybe last year the group wasn't particularly hard. And once they'd won against uh, Ajax away, I think you kind of knew that they were always in a position where they were probably probably going to get through. And which, given the injury situation, yeah, just as well. Going back to what you said about no crowds, the Real Madrid game at home lost the first game three-one. Salah goes through early on. Does that miss? Can you imagine how loud the crowd would have been? It would have been when they had that corner. Instead, it was like, oh yeah, corner, great. You know, there was not none of that. So 
I mean, and also, let's be honest, look at AC Milan's team. You've you got Olivier Giroud up front with Ibrahimovic. Both of them, pretty sure. Has Ibrahimovic scored against Liverpool? And I know Giroud scored about 50, so I'm fully expecting him to no, score. No, but I find it remarkable that Ibrahimovic was part of that Juve team in 2005. So what, well, 17 to be fair, he's about, later, he's still... He's about 40 now, isn't he? Yeah, you know what I mean? Still yeah, going, he's just, yeah. he's still going. And he's kind of been the first one, isn't he, of this... Of this they might not ever say it, but Ronaldo and Messi are probably looking at him going, hang on, if he's doing it, I'm going to carry on doing it. Mm. You know, So, you know, they, they have to refashion themselves as players, which takes us right back to Salah again, and whether he can be somebody who, who, who's good enough to be able to, you know, he will lose a yard of pace eventually, but we've seen what, what skill he's got and his close control in, in tight positions. You don't need to be massively fast to be able to get through places like that. So I think that's something that he's got good at. But, uh, yeah, AC Milan, it's a tough group. It's probably the toughest group Liverpool could have got. We haven't even mentioned Atletico Madrid, who will be the absolute pain in the backside, like they always are. Um, so it's going to be it is going to be tough. But if Liverpool can get a win against Milan on uh, on Wednesday, then that will be the perfect start, and that will put them in, in good stead. How Marcus are Liverpool set up to challenge for the Champions League this year? Are you expecting them to get deep into the competition? And given the depth of Jurgen Klopp's squad, and also in terms of the group they've been dealt, is that a good thing to be at it straight away in the Champions League? Or given there's going to be a couple of months break, should they get through into the, the knockout phase anyway? You need to deal with the group stage and the, the knockout phase in isolation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, again, like as Louis mentioned, it's it's such a tough group, I think. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, yeah, Atletico. And then you sort of take a closer look at Milan and you realise they're not sort of that Milan team that was just trodden along for a bit. They've definitely improved. They've brought in a lot of good players. You've got Frank Kessie in midfield, who's you know, widely regarded as one of the best young midfielders in the world. You've got Theo Hernandez at, at left-back, who, who I think is going to be an interesting battle at Anfield, given that that's Salah's wing. He loves to get forward and attack Trent Alexander-Arnold's wing as well. So is that an area to exploit for Liverpool or an area of danger? You know, Milan, they've won, I think they've won all three all three of their games in the Serie A this season. So it's 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 not it's definitely not an easy task. And and if they but I do think if they do get through the groups, it will give them confidence. And you know, if you want to win the Champions League, you have to beat the best teams anyway. So why not beat them in the group stages? Um I think Atletico is gonna be the biggest test and the one that, that Liverpool really want to get back. I think that game at Anfield sticks in my mind as honestly one of the best performances I've seen Liverpool play in a long, long time. And to not come away with the result or the, the win in that game is it definitely would have stung and it, it definitely did sting because again, Liverpool were just so impressive. They were right at it and I think they'll want to get that one back. But yeah, I think it, you've got to take things, you know, as they come, you've got to get through that group first. And But if they do, then, you know, I think, and people have got to remember that the other teams in the group will be looking to think, oh, we've been drawn against Liverpool. It's not just Liverpool saying, oh yeah, we've got a tough draw. You know, they won't be overjoyed at the, the fact that, you know, they've got to face Liverpool, they've got to go to Anfield, which is going to be roaring again, particularly because we've had a year out, you know, Champions League nights were electric before, and we've seen what, you know, post-COVID crowds are like, so I can only imagine it's going to be even more so. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Right, let's pick our team then. We've obviously got Jurgen Klopp's press conference coming tomorrow. So in terms of the specifics on the team news, we'll have to go from what we saw at Leeds. Uh, Alison Becker in goal, Doily, defence. Um, I think it's going to have to just be the same defence again. I think it's just How good the was same. Matip as well, by the way, at, at 
Let Alan Rose. No, it was, it was great, wasn't he? Where he just he's second half where he got bored and just went up. <laughs> he went up. He went up field, played the number ten. Went for a one-two, and then he was absolutely fuming when he didn't get the ball back when he was on the edge of the area. And everyone else is like, uh, "Joel, any chance? You want to come back? <laughs> Hello, Virgil Van Dyke's like, come on, come on." <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he was he was very good, and uh, of course it was his run that set up the first goal, really. Yeah, no, definitely. So we're going Alexander Arnold, Matip Van Dyke, and Robertson. You agree with that one? Marcus, yeah. What about the yeah. the midfield then? I think, I mean, Fabinho has got to be in there again. Again, I think a player who's still quite undervalued and underrated. You know, he's he is not just the best centre, you know, defensive midfielder in the Premier League. He's the best defensive midfielder in the world. He was immense against Leeds again, as he has been so consistently. I think you know, mate, have had a few rocky games. You know, where he, especially when at the start, I mean, he was sort of settling in, but since then he's just been. Ever present, and he just he just makes that job look so easy. I'll go again. I thought again. I thought he was brilliant against Leeds, and um, he's really starting to show. Particularly, he showed it towards the end of last season that that form that and why he is revered as one of the best midfielders in the world. Um, and then I think I think you go Henderson over over Cater. I think it's just a, a safe choice, really. But it's again the, the midfield that on paper you could say it's Liverpool's strongest midfield today, but we've not we've not seen it. So I think this is the the perfect time to, to get that in the field in action, I think. Do you go along with that, Doily, or are you going to, as always, rip things up and change it completely? No, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the Oxford <laughs> Chamberlain with with Curtis Jones and James Milner. No, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's going to have to be that midfield, isn't it? I do think that Kate has been very unlucky not to play, but with all the games coming up, he's, he'll probably play against Crystal Palace and he'll probably get about half an hour if the team is well, if the team is the one that we're, we're thinking it's going to be uh, against against Milan, so yeah, I go with Fabinho, Thiago, and Henderson, who did very well for that last half hour at Leeds. Yeah, no, definitely, and I suppose it's one of those with the cater as well, isn't it? He's been sort of got ready for the start of the season. Each of the the last three campaigns, it's not quite worked. Actually, waiting for his chance to to uh, come along and be chomping away in training maybe the best way for him what about the the top end of the pitch then doily the front three mm, um i think you know what i'm going to say uh, yeah. i think it's going to be a re no it's not going to be a re <laughs> he didn't he didn't even make the squad did he no he didn't which no. was, I was which going to was ask you about that after you which, you uh, yeah which was well well he wasn't injured i tell you that i mean he was just left out because i mean i had some i had some people like saying oh the bench is rubbish we are in trouble it's like, well, hang on a minute. There were nine players on that bench, right? And you had Kelleher, who's an, already an Irish international, quite clearly one of the best young goalkeepers in the country. Canati cost 36 million. Joe Gomez has won all the trophies with Liverpool and was a regular when they won the league. Uh, Simicas, everyone was saying, well, what a player he's been during the, you know, during the summer. He's kind of been one of those ones that's, that's kind of broken through along with, with Harvey That is Elliott. three defenders, though, isn't it, on the bench? You need yeah, three? Well, you, well, yes. And the goalkeeper okay. is four. Right, yeah. uh, you got you had who else? Jordan Anderson, the captain, James Milner, who's won about a billion medals, um, Curtis Jones, who again is one of the up and coming youngsters. You need players like that. Oxley Chamberlain, who's won stuff at wherever he's been, and the other sub whose name I forgot. Who came on? Oh, Cater. Well, so there you go, Naby Cater, fifty-three million, fifty-two point seven five million player who's been there for three years and has started the season quite well. So people were saying. Oh, this bench is rubbish because you know Origi can't get on it. It's like, well, these are the same people who are saying get Origi out of the club. They're the same ones who are complaining that he isn't on the bench. 
and that shows that we've got absolutely no strength in depth. Isn't it quite damning, though, from Jurgen Klopp, a lack of faith in Origi, the fact that you just mentioned there, Curtis Jones, James Milner, Jordan Henderson, Naby Keita, all primarily central midfield players, as to is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, albeit came on in that false nine role in camp. Don't forget that Liverpool play with three forwards, and there aren't many teams that actually play with three actual forwards. Right. So there are three straight away. And for them to bring other players on, you could move Oxlade-Chamberlain to that number nine position. You could just change the formation to 4-2-3-1 and have Curtis Jones come on and play on the left, which is where he's played loads of times. There was enough other options. And he probably thought that Leeds play a certain way whereby we don't want someone like Origi, who is more of a, okay, he can play on both the wings, but he is definitely more of a down the middle. He plays his best football down the middle, target man kind of gets in and around, that kind of thing. That Leeds just don't play that way. And he's seen a Regan trading, so he's probably thought all these other players deserve more of a chance. And Liverpool scored three goals, and they could have scored more. So I don't really see what the problem was there, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, all I'm all I'm saying is it just shows maybe a clear lack of faith that Klopp has in Divock Origi. The fact that he's got five, at least four, but five central midfield players on the bench, and he's not put Origi on the pitch when everyone was saying it was also a striker's paradise to be playing Leeds because of how wide open they are. When surely even to have him on the bench when there's nine men there, it's kind of is it is it not kind of underlining the point that he doesn't really think he's maybe quite up to what he needs. Well, they wanted to sell him, didn't they? So yeah. I would suggest that was your your answer right there. Um, I say wanted to sell him. What actually was was they were willing to listen to offers, so and, but they were also they were also quite happy to have him stay, which is obviously what's happened. And Minamino was injured, so he would have been another option. And I think Minamino would have been okay. So I've put it back to you then, guy. Minamino's yeah. on the bench. Who goes off that bench? Who are you taking off that bench? Probably take James Milner off the bench if you've got. Oh, Jordan Henderson, so the vice and, captain, the and, vice captain. He's dropped in the vice captain from the and bench three, and has returned and three, to his boyhood club. You are, you are, you are ruthless, guy Clark. And, the, and three you, they need to get right. you. They All need right. to get drop you down. Off there. Okay, drop that left or right back if if needed. Okay, yeah, get, let's get rid of Simakas, who, as we've just said, was probably one of Liverpool's best players for the first couple of games of the season. Great plan. Yeah, all right. You see me. You, you, Surely players kind of... on the bench are there to affect the game if things aren't going to plan. Marcus, come on. What, th- what's your hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Right. And the thing is, the thing is, normally you wouldn't have nine players on the bench. No, you this wouldn't. is the other so thing. Yeah, so you'd you normally at least have a review so you, there. Yeah, you'd normally have seven. So for people saying like Liverpool haven't got massive strength in depth in certain positions, well, Normally you'd only have seven players on the bench anyway. So who's who's staying off the bench out of them? No, I don't think I don't think the the, the lack of depth is is maybe an argument squad wide, but certainly in the yeah, you've just, you've, you clearly haven't oh, seen my Twitter. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I don't, yeah you want your notifications? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in there. But um, Marcus, what's your take on it then with, with Diva Corrigan? We're, we're going to say, by the way, in terms of if you're still listening in for the team selector, we are saying that it's it's Salah, Jota, and Mane. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of Origi, Marcus, where do you sit on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a strange one. I think there's a some a crazy stat that he hasn't scored a goal in, I think it was it like 12 months or something like that, or at Anfield for 12 months, which is just bizarre. And giving him the contract when at the time he did, obviously, he's a, he's an Anfield legend for the goals he scored, but I don't think he, he's still, it, what I think everyone could agree, he wasn't really the quality that Liverpool needed. But I do think Liverpool are a bit short of front. Um, but again, that can be solved by those sort of fringe players, particularly Minamino sort of stepping up and, and proving why why Liverpool fans were so delighted to have signed him in the first place. I do think one more 
particularly a player who could play out wide on the right, maybe should have been targeted in the summer. But then it comes back to it'd have to be a player like Diogo Jota, who's you know still quite young, breaking through. Um, I don't think anyone really expected Jota to have the impact that he did, but obviously Liverpool scouts are so happy to pay that fee for him because they knew all about him. And was that player out there in the summer? I don't think it was really. You look at you know, I think. Fans were just sort of clamouring for any signing at all. So once a name got discussed, they were like, oh, let's go all in on that. Sound like Wes, you know, oh, we need the centre midfielder. And you watch the 45 minutes he played against for Chelsea and you just think, you know, glad we never got him. Even on loan, I think that, you know, the club know better than what people on Twitter say. Oh, you know, he's brilliant. Let's get him in. Liverpool, if the right forward was there to be signed for the right price, they would have signed him. And that, that's it, really. And it obviously wasn't. Come next summer, if they need a forward, there'll obviously be a list of players that, you know, Clark Edwards, the whole recruitment team will have looked at, in, you know, in depth and said, let's go get him. But was that there? This- yeah, no, we'll have to wait and see how it does play out then. It's at indoor sport. If you do want to give them your thoughts on the uh, Liverpool squad depth, certainly in attacking areas, because he does absolutely love it. But from us here on the Blood Red podcast. Oh, wait, no, can't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Score predictions. predictions. Score predictions. Yeah. predictions. predictions. Oh, Marcus, what's the score going to be? 3 0. 3 0. Yeah. 3 0. You've been talking AC Milan up and then back. Liverpool, yeah. I will. Uh, my prediction will be said in a second after we found out what Marcus would like as his cereal for ten days. What would it be? Yeah, cereal of choice. Frosties. 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 Yeah, I said at the right beginning, answer. cocoa pops. Brand yeah. flakes is he's, definitely he's still... <laughs> not the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Liverpool. It'll be a tough one. It'll be a lively atmosphere. We'll learn a lot about AC Milan. I think they'll surprise quite a few people. They will score because Giroud's bound to score. And uh, Liverpool will win 2-1. All right, great stuff. I'm, I'm sure we've done our uh, chances of getting a sponsorship deal with Brand Flakes. The world of good over the last two podcasts. But anyway, Frosties, if you're listening, I know you're all Kellogg's anyway. But yeah, that's all we've got time for here on the Blood Red Podcast. From myself, Guy Clark, Ian Doyle and Marcus Banks, thanks for joining us. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.